Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason Moore, welcome to the Duocast, my friend. It's glad to be back, man. We're here to recap Courtney Kang, who is a television writer, producer, and the creator and showrunner of Doogie Kami Aloha MD. What'd you think of that episode? I actually thought it was a great interview, Brian. And, um, you know, after listening to the interview and doing some research, I realized that I've been a fan of hers for years. Really? Oh, yeah. I love the show, How I Met Your Mother. And, uh, you know, as you know, she was producer on that show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that show. And this interview, first of all, had a lot of comical moments between you and Courtney. And I thought that was really good. One of the funniest and most interesting moments in that interview was when she talked about wanting to be an executive and actually becoming an executive at NBC and then realizing that she had made a serious mistake in terms of where she needed to be creatively, kind of like a sold my soul to the devil moment. Right. And then actually uh, giving up that executive position to go back into the creative world of producing and directing. And I just found that to be quite fascinating, actually. Um, you know, just with all the other work that she's done, not only with How I Met Your Mother, but also Fresh Off the Boat and Pretty Smart. And now to be involved in producing the new reboot, Doogie Kami Aloha MD for Disney Plus and getting to shoot it in Hawaii. That's pretty special. It is. What I enjoy about this podcast the most are moments like you just described where there are turning points in people's careers, mm-hmm. where they make tough decisions. And I would think that when you get a swanky job as a studio executive, you have your own personal parking spot, you mm-hmm. are making big time decisions, you're hiring, you're firing, you're kind of determining the trajectory of careers and shows. Mm-hmm. She gets in there, very quickly discovers, as I described it in kind of a joke when we were talking in the interview, her soul was dying slowly. Yes. And she knew that. <laughs> she knew that. And quickly made the decision that it was not for her. And I have so much respect for people that make those decisions right when they're experiencing those emotions. Yeah, I think a lot of us in life, once we go through the effort to get a job and it's a good job Mm -hmm. and objectively speaking, it's like, okay, this is a good job. It pays well. It's prestigious. Other people are looking at me as if I'm actually where I'm supposed to be but then they feel something inside Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't feel right. And that's what happened with Courtney Kang. And she's like, you know what? I need to be in the writer's room. That's where I belong. That's my calling. And so, so much respect for people that make those decisions because most of us don't. That's right. In moments like that, Mm -hmm. most of us stick with stay the course. It'll feel right over time, that type of thing. Right. But she took this series and through Disney, was able to make it her own. And by that, I mean basing these characters on her own family, Mm -hmm. basing the themes of the show on her own experiences, being born in Hawaii, having family there, going back and traveling there. Yep. And it's like, how many people get to do that in Disney? We explored that in the interview, and uh, she explained how it all unfolded. And it really gave me a lot of hope that when you're working for big corporations like Disney, It doesn't mean that you're selling your soul and you have to sell this product that has nothing personal about it, that you can actually have 
a show that is very personal to you that Disney gets behind. Right. Or ABC or whatever network it is. Yeah. It's really fun to talk to someone like Courtney who is behind the scenes. She's not in front of the camera. She's behind the camera. And as you know, over the last year or so, that's really where my podcast has been leaning is I don't talk to as many actors as I do screenwriters and producers and directors Mm -hmm. and the folks that are behind the scenes really making these things come together, these projects that become wildly popular in pop culture. There are folks behind the scenes like Courtney that are responsible for them. And you know, it just goes wherever my natural curiosity takes me. And that's just the way it's unfolded. And I, I'm proud of what you know, you and I have put together here over the last three years and the direction it's going because, you know, talking about Courtney's personal touch that she puts on her shows and specifically Doogie Kami Aloha MD, I think you and I put our personal touch on this show by only talking to folks that are really genuinely people that I'm interested in or that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Chris Kincaid is a great example of that, how you were like, hey, Brian, have you ever thought about interviewing Chris Kincaid? Do you know him? Right. And um, <laughs> and that's just so fun. Isn't that so fun about where this show goes? Oh, yeah. Is It's all organically connected and tethered to personal experiences and interests. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, Jason, speaking of 90s television shows, because Doogie Howser was a creature of the early 90s, mm-hmm. you and I the other day were talking about classic shows that still hold up over time. Right. The debate that we were having was, does Seinfeld and or Friends pass that test? Do these shows stand the test of time? And I think that if I'm remembering the conversation correctly, we both agreed that Seinfeld was the show that probably stood the test of time better than Friends. Is that what you remember? I think so. I think we had talked about that. I think both of the shows hold up pretty good. Uh, Seinfeld, I think was probably my favorite. I watched quite a bit of television in in the nineties. I don't watch it as much as I, as I do now. And, you know, for me, there's a bit of nostalgia for me because this was a completely different time in television, you know, pre-internet, pre-streaming, like the whole idea of streaming anything wasn't even a concept. Right. And, you know, especially the idea of streaming a television series or binge watching a show or multiple shows was absolutely unheard of. You know, if you if you wanted to watch your favorite show, you had to wait to watch that show once a week at the time and the date that the network decided it was going to be on. So for me, I think my favorite show back in the 90s was Seinfeld. It, I was honestly, mm, I was a late bloomer when it came to watching Friends. In fact, I didn't really start watching Friends until about two years ago because it's it's now playing in chronological order on TBS, like nonstop, almost like on a loop. And also on Nickelodeon, if you can believe that. Wow. But uh, yeah, I think I've seen every episode of both Seinfeld and Friends multiple times over now. So, you know, I'm familiar with most of the storylines. And to me, Seinfeld, when I go back and watch that, seems to hold up a little bit better. Uh, there's, it, But, you know, Friends too. I mean, there's some stuff in Friends that, um, of course, still, still holds the test of time. There's just a few things in, uh, I think I was telling you, in Friends that, really date the show like yeah i agree really make you realize how old the show is just because you know there's an episode where they go to a hootie and the blowfish concert i mean (laughs) it's you know that's not really relevant any anymore Mm -hmm. that was that was a very short 
from what I remember, it was a very short window of time, like between 94 and 96, where Hootie and the Blowfish was like a thing. So that's one of the things. That's just one example. But yeah, I think Seinfeld to me, I always love the shows that have multiple things going on at once with all of the characters. I mean, there was always something going on with Kramer. There was always something going on, of course, with Jerry and his personal life or his his uh, family life with his mom and dad or his uncle. Uh, you know, Elaine was always getting into something. You know, I, I don't know if you remember. Uh, she had hoarded all of the sponges. She used a, a sponge <laughs> right. for her birth control. And so the men, the men had to be sponge worthy right. <laughs> for her to use those. And George, of course, George always got himself into some shenanigans. You know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's very, very, very funny. Very good writing. Larry David was a great writer. And I think he and uh, Jerry Seinfeld were a great writing team. Well, for, for folks who love Seinfeld or loved Seinfeld, and speaking of Larry David, mm -hmm. Curb Your Enthusiasm is a fantastic way to continue the saga, to continue enjoying that type of humor because mm -hmm. Larry David was obviously one of the brains behind the scenes and mm -hmm. also the inspiration for the character George, I believe. Yes. And his show, Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO, is one of my all-time favorite comedies. And my wife, Trisha, refuses to watch it because it's like secondhand embarrassment. Almost every episode, <laughs> there's secondhand embarrassment. You're like, oh, it's just so awkward. And Larry <laughs> David, the situations that he gets himself into. But uh, for me, Seinfeld holds a very special place in my heart in terms of television history and my formative years of really understanding television comedy. It really connected with me. I think it, it was a magical sort of a confluence of wacky characters, wacky situations and themes that are universal and stand, stand the test of time. And I still watch them, you know, when I yeah. flipping through channels or something, or when I do watch television, which is not that often, right. and I see a Seinfeld episode, I'll watch it. It's still one of those shows that I don't know that my kids would ever get into it or that younger generations would ever look to Seinfeld and say, yes, this is what I want to do with my time. <laughs> but for us, like you say, it's, it's very nostalgic. Yes. And I think I've noticed one thing about both of the shows is that it took a while for the kind of show to morph and to kind of grow into itself. Both shows. Yeah, I agree. But I've noticed that um, with with Friends, and this might be the reason why I didn't get into Friends uh, when it first came out in 94, it really took a couple of seasons, I think, for that show to really mature and grow into it and the stories. And the characters kind of all grew into each other, and it really started to work about season two or three. And uh, same thing with Seinfeld. It took a while. The first, the pilot, I didn't really like the pilot. I thought it was kind of boring. But over time, it just sort of morphed into this really well-written show. The characters, you started to really get into kind of the, the different quirks of the characters, you know, George and his Vandalay Industries and all of the weird Vandalay <laughs> all of the weird shit yeah. that Kramer was doing, you know. Uh yeah. It was just hilarious. And of course Jerry Stiller. Oh my God, that guy. I had never really heard of him. I think I saw a comedy bit back in the seventies with him and his wife. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, it's seventies comedy. Eh, you know, it's kind of old school comedy. But Jerry Stiller to me in Seinfeld, you know, just it, he he invented Festivus. I mean, the Festivus, you know, for the rest of us, right? Right, right. Uh, is incredibly funny. I mean, this stuff is just, you can't, you can't not say that that stuff is comedy gold. It's pretty remarkable that as show from the 1990s, I'm still vividly remembering certain scenes like Kramer 
basically having an Airbnb in his <laughs> apartment where Asian people were sleeping in drawers. That's right. In his in his dresser drawers That's that he right. turned into beds. Oh my god. And uh some of this stuff is, you know, not gonna hold up over time in terms of you know, some of it's maybe a little bit racist or mm. maybe maybe some of it's uh not going to stand the the political test of time. Right. In terms of political correctness or wokeness, but what a great show. And the, I remember just the other day, I was looking at a YouTube video. It was an interview of the Soup Nazi. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> the Soup Nazi episodes are some of the most iconic and memorable. Oh, yeah. And th that character, the Soup Nazi, he apparently went to Comic-Con and was able to squeeze so much out of that limited number of episodes that he did as a soup Nazi. And it continued for decades where he was making, first of all, he's getting royalty checks off of those episodes. Wow. That lasted forever. Yeah. But secondarily, he was signing autographs and selling them for a lot of money at these Comic-Con shows and, and autograph events. Wow. So it's a show that's affected a lot of lives. <laughs> but uh, The soup Nazi. Oh my God. You know, George just wanted a napkin. That's all he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And that guy was like, no soup for you, man. Exactly. I mean, that's hilarious. That kind of stuff. I mean, you just can't. I, I love the the dysfunctional dynamic of Seinfeld. Yeah. Just Jerry himself with, here comes Uncle Leo walking down the street. Oh, crap. Here comes Uncle Leo. And he tries to hide yep. from his own uncle because he just can't deal with this guy. You know, it's so funny. It's like that in real life. It is. <laughs> Another thing that's special about that time frame. Because you mentioned, you astutely point out that that was not an era where we had streaming. Right. But also, we had a very limited number of channels and limited number of shows. So the collective experience was shared by a lot of people. Everyone that you knew was watching this show or another show that you liked, like Friends. Yep. Or ER is another one. Yes, that's right. Or How I Met Your Mother. But you would. You would watch these shows all at the same time on the same day, and the next day is when you would talk about them at work or at school. Yep. And that type of collective experience of experiencing a pop culture phenomenon like Seinfeld, <laughs> that's never going to happen again because of technology, but the way that no. there are now hundreds of ways to watch shows, hundreds of shows to watch, which mm -hmm. was not the case in the 80s and 90s. Nope. So we're never going to get back to that time frame. And I think that's part of the nostalgia of Seinfeld is it's that collective entertainment experience that we all shared together. That's true. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, back in those days, I worked at a brewery. I worked at Grant's Brewery. And uh, I remember walking in the morning after watching a Seinfeld episode and I had a friend there named Rick. We both watched Seinfeld. I walked in and I looked at him and he looked at me and we went, both went at the same time. Hello. <laughs> it was not pre-planned. Yeah. I mean, we just did it. And it was like, we cracked up because we're like, oh, you watched it. You know, you just, it, that was a common entity with coworkers and stuff. We would talk about that stuff because it was, it was just so funny. And that's really how it worked back then. Yeah. You know, you didn't, you didn't come into work and go, Oh, I'm right in the middle of season two. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got it in my queue, but. Right. I binge watched, you know, three, three seasons over the weekend. And right. you know, the person you're talking to doesn't even know what show you're talking about. Or they're, or they're pissed because, well, dude, I'm still on the season one, man. Right. Right. You know, don't tell me anything. No spoilers.
You know, one other thing I wanted to point out, Jason, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't think this conversation about 90s television shows was going to go on this long, but it's a fun topic. Mm -hmm. You said that the first seasons of Seinfeld were kind of rough. Yep. And same thing with Friends. Oh, yeah. It got me thinking about DreamPath Podcast. <laughs> I think the same thing could probably be said about the podcast. Oh, yeah. If you listen to episode zero and you listen to some of my solo casts early on, the concept is not as crystallized then as it is now. Yes. You know, the theme of the podcast, the goal of the podcast, the interviews, I think, are solid and they hold up. I'm proud of every interview I've done. Mm -hmm. But it's just like anything. And same thing with our duo cast, Jason. When we started doing the duo casts, and I think late 2019, mm -hmm. they weren't flowing no. then like they do now. Right. And so I think that the lesson or the takeaway from that is that just like with Seinfeld, just like with Friends, you have to let things percolate over time. Right. You have to give people and teams time to evolve. A diamond, when it starts, is rough. That's why they call it a diamond in the rough. Yeah. And it's shaped over time through the pressures of geology and, and history. Right. And it becomes eventually precious. And I think that's what's happened with this show. Hopefully is happening. It hasn't been completed yet. It's not a perfect show. Right. But it's so fun to be on this journey with you and to turn it into something striving for perfection. We'll never get there. Nothing's ever perfect, but <laughs> striving for something that we're super proud of over time. I agree with that. I think as in any show, a show is always constantly in development. It's always constantly being uh, reborn in, in different ways, you know, like right. trying different things, trying new things, bringing new characters into the fold sometimes. Right. And so, you know, I think that's with every single TV show. Yep. Every single radio show. It, you got to start somewhere, right? Right. In every podcast. Every podcast. Just like with everything that you do as a team or even individually. Yeah. But especially with teamwork, there is a shelf life. Yep. Th there's a beginning and there's an end. And right now we don't know when Dream Path ends. No. And that's what's so fun about the process. Neither of us knows where this is going. Right. It could be tomorrow that I call you and I say, you know what? We're done. Or we get told that we're done. Our audience just stops listening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever happens, we are on the edge of our seats just as much as everybody else is. Mm -hmm. That's part of the fun of being on an adventure like this. Absolutely. And just wanted to say, I appreciate you for being my co-pilot on this journey. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. This is awesome. I'm learning a lot. I'm having fun. I get to bitch and moan on here, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have, you know, a, not just because of COVID, I've always kind of been more to myself, but I don't have a huge social group of friends where I can go and vent and talk. So it's good to get on here. And once in a while, I get on the phone with you and we vent and talk and complain and, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, both you and I are becoming cantankerous old farts. <laughs> but I think we keep, we keep it way more positive than we do negative though. Yeah. Well, we keep all the negative shit out of, out of the podcast, you know, we try. Yeah, there are times where it's kind of hard not to, mm -hmm. but I think we do a really good job of focusing on what's, you know, the positive aspects of stuff that's going on and, and work with it. So Jason, mm -hmm. we have coming up some things that uh, we have to get ready for. N number one, the end of the year. There's always an end of the year episode that you 
so expertly and graciously put together recapping the year. Oh, yeah. So that's a big episode that's going to be coming up toward New Year's. That's right. Then we also have film festival season. Oh, yeah. We have Sundance Film Festival, South by Southwest, all kinds of documentary short festivals, narrative shorts. And it's an exciting season. I really like looking forward to the next calendar year because Sundance is, for me, a very special event. I'm not going to be attending this year, but I will hopefully be covering the festival from afar digitally and interviewing some filmmakers there. Hopefully, I'm able to get press credentials to do that. Nice. And then uh, transitioning into South by Southwest. And one of the things I have on my vision board, and I don't know if it's going to happen this year, meaning 2022, or the following year, but Cannes Film Festival in France Mm. is something that I've had in my sights for quite some time to attend personally. Nice. And I've never had the courage to apply for press credentials there, but I'm thinking about doing it next year. You should. So that's one thing I have in my sights. And another thing we have to look forward to is an interview that I just finished literally an hour ago with Ken Kinnear. We talked about this in prior duo casts. Right on. Ken Kinnear is someone that folks have probably not heard of yet. He has been behind the scenes his entire career. He is responsible for introducing Bachman Turner Overdrive to the American public. Nice. And making them a huge iconic band. Oh, yeah. Taking Care of Business is one of their most famous songs. But more importantly, he is responsible for managing the band Heart when my dad was a pilot, their tour pilot for them. Nice. When they recorded their album, Dreamboat Annie. And for about 10 years, Ken Kinnear managed Heart and became fast friends, really good friends with my dad. There's lots of stories that he shared about that relationship and their experiences together flying all over the world. And that was a very special interview for me. I'm still trying to process everything that we talked about Mm -hmm. and what it means to me personally. So I'm super excited to hear what you think about it, Jason, when you start editing this beast of an episode. It's going to be two hours long. I am not going to cut out any of it. I'll try to cut out some of the noise that I make when I'm coughing because I'm just recovering from a cold. Mm. But aside from the audio problems that we had throughout the episode here and there, it is going to be intact and it's going to be an epic episode that I hope my listeners will enjoy as much as I did. Nice. Those are the things that we have to look forward to and uh, it's going to be quite an editing project for you, Jason. Well, I'm still looking forward to it. It's going to be a bear and hopefully my dog doesn't shit in here when I'm editing it. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, If that happens, you got to text me because uh, I always get a laugh (laughs) in moments like that. Oh, you know I will. Maybe I'll take a picture of it next time. Right on. And one thing I would like to ask of our listeners before they listen to the Ken Kinnear episode is to go onto Amazon and rent the movie, Enormous the Gorge movie, and watch that film. It's not necessary before you hear the interview with Ken, but I think it would add a lot to your experience of hearing those stories if you see that film, which features Ken throughout before listening to that interview. The Gorge, for those who do not live in the Pacific Northwest, you may not have heard about this concert venue, but Jason, you and I have talked about it Mm -hmm. and referred to it as Our Red Rocks. Oh, absolutely. And Ken calls it the Carnegie Hall of outdoor venues, and that might be a more appropriate way to describe it because it is an epically beautiful and iconic venue to see any concert, 
to see any band. Mm -hmm. And the stories that he shares in the movie and during the interview are pretty special. So check that out. Right on. One thing I wanted to end with is that we found out recently that our mutual friend, Chris Kincaid, his mother passed away. Oh, yes. And so I wanted to send my condolences to Chris. I've already done that privately, but I I wanted to uh, give him a shout out and let him know that you and I are thinking about him. Yes. It's never easy to lose a parent. You and I have both joined that club that nobody wants to be a member of, of losing a parent. Yes. And we just wanted to let Chris know that we send our condolences. Yes, I send my condolences. I have as well in private, but I just wanted him, you know, to know that we're we're there for him. We care about him, and um, I think the the video that he did, the slideshow that he put together for his mom, was a very nice retrospective of her life. I appreciated it, and um, it's just a loving tribute to a person that was obviously loved very much. And so we're with you, Chris. Well, Jason, it's been fun again to connect with you. Yep. I'm looking forward to hearing feedback on the Ken Kinnear episode. I'm looking forward to doing it, Brian. I appreciate it. Right on, brother. Have a great weekend. You too. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always... Go find your dream path.